Man, oh man, if you would have told me at the beginning of this crazy season that was about to get underway that the Indians would, for quite a while, for a couple of weeks at least, have the worst offense in baseball, that they would have scandals in their starting pitching staff, and still be sitting here at this point in the season, a half game back of the Minnesota Twins as we record this on Thursday evening prior to the finale, Indians and Pirates, I would have called you crazy. And yet, here we are, Zach, with the Indians at 15-9, and a half game behind the Minnesota Twins, and you and me bringing our loyal listeners a new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Zuppi. He's Zach Meisel. TJ, how was your vacation? It was better than the... There's no time for this. We have a lot to get to. It's better than the time you had while I was gone, that's for sure. I mean, you got really mean. You you prompted players to post videos from their vehicles and be very unsafe. Everything we talked about at the end of the last podcast got shit on almost immediately. I mean, it was a crazy time. And it was also crazy for my wife and I trying to keep track of a four-year-old and a two-year-old at the beach, but that's a different kind of crazy. What do you want to start with? What was your favorite part of Zach Please Zach's since deleted video? <laughs> oh my gosh, I texted you just by the, the grace of God, I guess. The Indians happened to be one of the ESPN games that you couldn't watch. It was the national feed that was broadcast to everybody but the fans in Cleveland. So in the middle of the day, I turned it on and the Indians were on. I said, okay, I'll sit down and watch this for a little bit. And the announcers just ripped into Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger. And I said, I hope to God that they're not watching because if they thought what the local media was saying and tweeting about their, their night out and everything that happened after that, then they're really not going to like what ESPN is saying about them and the claims they're making about them as a teammate and how... If they were on the team with, with Clevenger and Plesak, they, they wouldn't be able to trust them perhaps ever again. And it's like, man, this is taking it to a whole new extreme. This has been like a choose-your-own-adventure saga. Like, all right, they chose to go out that night, right? So then it's just a matter of what happens next. What page do you turn to? Which, which option do you choose? Because it could have just been, you know what? They go out, they get in trouble, they're quarantined for a few days, um, but they come clean right away and it's over with, they're back in the rotation, they understand they messed up, and we wouldn't even be talking about this. Um, and instead, you know, Clevenger compounds the issue by you know, kind of withholding the information he knew, flying back with the team. Uh, I don't know what the hell the prompt was that had Plesak choosing the uh, adventure that had him making that video, um, but not the wisest choice. And then you have the team meeting. I mean, it's it's unbelievable that this has turned into something. I, I think, you know, a lot of people at first, I think were saying, you know, one argument was, oh, all they did was go out to dinner. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, well, that's not all this is because you have to understand how fragile this season is and what's at stake. But... If they handle everything properly, and obviously they, I mean, they t- tested negative, um, then I think I agree with that. And then it's like, all right, you know, they just went out to dinner. They screwed up. Um, and it's, you know, you can forgive them if you're their teammates and, and you move on. But just how they've compounded things here um, has us talking about this nearly two weeks after the initial night. And it's just unbelievable for a team 
that rarely has this sort of drama and has done such a good job of kind of navigating its way through this here, especially on this road trip. It's it's remarkable that this is still a thing. And now, I mean, we're talking like some people believe that, you know, Clevenger could be dealt or, you know, maybe yeah. they don't even come back this season. It's it's insane. Yeah, you have reports of, of players saying that they they would opt out if either one of those pitchers returned in the, the near the near future, the far future. I don't know. Um, you know, it's it's impossible to know the exact feelings and you don't get to, you know, unlike in, in other, in any other type of season, first of all, this wouldn't be a story because two teammates going out on the town wouldn't be an issue, but we'd also be able to approach players and, and talk to them and, and have more personal conversations as opposed to now when you're just doing everything through zoom, you don't know whether you're getting someone's actual feelings or something that the club is holding up like it's a night show host, you know, just reading cue cards. <laughs> I don't know. Someone just standing there. Applause, applause. Yeah. Good, good apology. Good apology. It, it's this entire season is nuts. Of course, we knew that going in. And it, <laughs> if you know that going in, then if you're, re if you're reading, if a choose your own adventure book, at least keep your thumb back on the last page that you were on. <laughs> so, you know, I'm nah, just kidding. I didn't mean to flip to 37. I actually wanted to go to 52 where that doorway leads to who knows anything better than what we've seen. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Oh, you know what? I know that I'm playing Madden right now and probably shouldn't run this play, but I'm going to throw a hail Mary here just to see what happens. And, Oh man, intercepted. Well, oh look at that. Accidentally turned off the game console. So, like it's it's one of those things. I mean, I what's amazing to me about the whole thing is that I mean, you got this from Police Ox video. They seemed to have no grasp of how their teammates felt about this, which was remarkable to me. And I know you know, when Ken Rosenthal and I were reporting the original, just the police act part of things, and I'm, I was talking to some players just to kind of gauge their reactions, and this was very fresh at the time. And you could tell that guys, like, you know, there were, this was going, not necessarily going to get ugly, but, like, it was not going to be so simple as, you know, they send police act home, and they're over it, and... You know, it, like if there's one player there, it's okay. But I think a lot of guys were just floored by the fact that with how strict the Indians have been taking this. And you think back two weeks ago, like the Cardinals were in the height of their issues where they weren't playing a game for multiple weeks. And um, it seemed like every day there was a new postponement. And it's like at that point in time, I think... I know I said, like, hey, if they didn't compound their mistakes, like, this would have been over with in five days and we would have moved on. Well, I think that might be true. I, I do want to say that, like, the, the fact that, like, these guys helped put together the rules. They created their own code of conduct. They set the penalties and the punishments. Like, they had a hand in this. They said all the right things about what the rules meant to them and how important it is to stay focused and not violate protocols. And then to still, you have to make a conscious decision to do that. And I understand, like, even if what police X said is true, where all they did was go out to dinner and play with baseball cards um, and, and come home late. I mean, number one, we don't know why police X got caught and Clevenger didn't until someone found out a day later. Um, those are questions that haven't been answered yet. Maybe they will in the future. Maybe they won't. Um, but also, it's just like, 
you know what's at stake. You knew all along, like there had to be, I want to know what that decision-making process was. Um, that's why I'm, I'm fascinated to know, like if they do bring these guys back, oh my goodness, that press conference, that Zoom call is going to be must-see TV. Um, but I, I just, I, I felt like there was not a, enough awareness about how their teammates felt. And it, it, you know, I got that sense early on, I think when Clevenger was revealed, that was, that escalated quickly. And then the video just put everything over the top. And, and I mean, it says everything like, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and talk for 45 minutes about Zach Plesak blaming the media for reporting precisely what he said they reported. Um, I don't know who he was referring to as being evil and disgusting and blowing things out of proportion because frankly, I didn't see any of that. Um, but like the fact that they drive up to Detroit, they had a chance, you know, I don't know what it would have taken. Um, cause clearly their teammates and the, the coaching staff had a lot of pull in the decision, but they had a chance to return to the team. I mean, they brought their baseball equipment and the fact that that didn't happen, you know, shows me like they did not quite grasp how their teammates felt about this. I thought that was, it might've been something I said back when you had the, the Bauer meltdown and the ball getting thrown over the center field fence. And I, th- I think I said something to the effect of what you and I think about that in that moment, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't register. And, and I think both of us kind of laughed at it because it seems so, so very Trevor. Um, but we're not the teammates here. We're not the ones that really have to make a judgment call on whether or not you trust somebody. So to me, it was always, and even when it was just police act, it, it wasn't so much what you and I thought about this. It's, it's, a, how does it impact your team and the sport and their ability to continue playing and you're putting others at risk? And then on top of that, you know, how do you win your teammates back over? Because the, it's their opinions and the coaching staff and the front office and the, the people that you directly have an impact on, those are the people that you have to win over and that you have to build a trust back. It doesn't matter what you, truly what any of the fans think or what you and I think, because if they they come back and they win their teammates back over and they go out there and perform. I think everybody eventually is going to get over it, but it's so much comes down to what do those other guys in the locker room feel about this situation? If they feel like they can get over it and they can forgive them, then they move on and, and everything, you know, you hopefully it's a lesson learned and then you go from there, but it just doesn't seem like any of that was handled correctly. And it brings us to be in this position here today where we're talking about, Tristan McKenzie coming up and making a start this weekend, which is exciting in itself because we haven't seen him pitch professionally now for going on two years. So that just to see a a top prospect has some level of excitement, but it's not something that you and I anticipated coming about in this sort of fashion. And you have Adam Plutko thrown into the rotation and not only does it impact, you know, whether or not your team uh, is at risk from, from COVID, potentially you bringing that into the locker room or games being halted, but now you're out and your team doesn't have two of the best pitchers right now in the American League for an extended period, and they might feel like they can't ever bring them back. It's it's A lot of that is just really, really selfish behavior. And I don't want to say that they are selfish, but they acted selfishly. And it's on them now to handle this 
And I don't know if it's a, a bridge that can be mended. I don't. Yeah, it's a question I've asked here and there over the last few days, and I, I need to ask it more because nobody's had an answer. You know, how do you, if you decide in a week and a half you're ready to bring one of those guys back, uh, first of all, that whether it's Plesak or Clevenger, because I don't think it's going to just be, you know, I don't, I don't foresee a move where you just recall both at the same time. You know, you're probably going to need one starting pitcher at a time. So, okay, let's say you, you, you wanna, you're ready to bring Clevenger back in like 10 days. Uh, first of all, how's he going to feel? That would be pretty nerve-wracking. Um, second of all, just what, how does that process work? You know, I asked Mike Chernoff, like, do you have to have another team meeting before you make that roster move? Do you have to take a poll in the clubhouse? Are guys going to suddenly just be over this? Is, is time going to heal these wounds? Is, you know, how is this going to work? No one knows. Um, and, and I think that kind of complicates matters. You also have the trade deadline approaching. So it's, this is tough to predict. You know, it's the number one question everyone's asking from my barber to our readers and listeners, like everyone has been asking like, well, when are these guys going to come back? What's going to happen? Are they going to get traded? I, I don't know because I don't know that they know, um, you know, and I, I don't think Tristan McKenzie coming up and making one start means if he pitches well, then they're going to trade Clevenger. You know, that's not how teams don't operate in the sort of short samples, but I think anything's on the table now. I, I, I really don't have an answer. And I did want to say like, you know, I saw some people saying, Oliver Perez, like, who cares? You know, he's 38 years, 39 years old. Like, why does it matter what he says? If he was going to opt out, let him. Like, Clevenger and Plesak are more important to the roster. That doesn't matter to me. You know, the leaders in that clubhouse, and you can tell they value leadership, and they value good clubhouse chemistry based on the decisions they've made here over the last couple of weeks. So, you, yeah, Oliver Perez is important. He, you know, he's had a big impact on James Karinchek and other relievers in the bullpen, you know. Um, you know, Francisco Lindor is probably the leader on the roster. And whether it was in the team meeting or even on Zoom calls with the media, he's been outspoken and has said some things and, and voiced his displeasure with what happened too. Um, you know, Adam Plucko, look, I, he might not be the flame-throwing ace of this staff, but he's the assistant player rep. Lindor is the player rep. Like these are people in important positions who have demonstrated leadership to get to those positions. Um, so what they say does matter. It carries weight in the clubhouse, even if you're not an all-star. Like you can be an important cog in the decision-making process. And if it, it puts them in a position where they have to make a trade based just on this, then God, that's even more unfortunate for the organization. And and I know the first thought is everyone's safety and well-being. But you, if from a front office standpoint, you have to think about how does this impact if, if you were to trade one of those. Now, every team you, you talk to knows that these two guys might not be welcome back into their clubhouse. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult here to have a trade conversation with somebody and feel like you, you hold the leverage in this situation knowing that the other team knows exactly what, where you're coming from. And I don't, I don't think the Indians would ever put themselves in a position where they feel like they have to take less than they would, they would take otherwise because of a, an off-the-field situation unless it's just straight nuclear. And I, I, I don't know that, that we're there in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I would think that, I, and I'm guessing here, but like I, I'm, I don't think Oliver Perez would make the same threat 
in three weeks, maybe, you know, I don't think this needs to be a season ending thing or a Cleveland ending thing. I would think eventually there would be an opportunity for these guys to come back to have heart to heart conversations with the players they upset. But they, but just, that's on, but that's on Clevenger and Plesak too. A hundred percent. To have the right mindset, yeah, you can forgive guys, but the the guys have to be asking for for the forgiveness in the right ways. If if they're still holding a a mindset that everyone is out to get them and and that they did nothing wrong, then I don't foresee any of the players' minds ever changing. So that's on, you know, it's yeah. not on. And I, I know you weren't saying this, but it's not on Oliver Perez. It's not on anyone else, Adam Plutko or, or Francisco Lindor, to forgive them before those players are, before Plesak and Clevenger are, you know, deserving of that. And you can say, you know, I don't think that they're malicious. I don't think they're bad people. But you can still say this is something that absolutely bothers me. And put yourself in a position of any of the players that are, are following the protocols and would love to go out and, and have a drink or have dinner or do whatever else they would normally do on the road or even at home. And it, it, it basically said, aside from them lying to their teammates, but it it basically said we are more important than you because we get to go go out and and do whatever we want to on the road even if it's as simple as going to have a dinner we get to go do that and you don't and that's not going to sit well with anybody well adam plucko said himself he said these grown-ass men can tell you how they plan to earn our trust back that's on them and the very next morning zach Plesak released a six-minute rant from a moving car with no seatbelt about, you know, how the media made him out to be a monster. So you can see how uh, the first response was a swing and a miss, and, and certainly teammates uh, were not satisfied by the initial attempts there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... But, but, it's, but as you said, that's not... You can get mad at the media, but it doesn't matter. It's your teammates and the failure to grasp that the people that were really upset right. were, the, the, were the guys in the, that are sharing the same locker room with you that was really the biggest problem because it doesn't matter. You can lob grenades at the media. It happens all the time. Who cares? No, and I mean, I think that's, <clears throat> that's basically my point. And, but I, I do want to say, like, <laughs> first of all, I mean, in Plesak's video, he never even acknowledged the fact that his teammates might be disappointed in him. I mean, he never... The, the caption to his video started with three words, not an apology. I mean, that, that's... And you had your teammates calling you out publicly the night before. I mean, it, it's pretty, it's just a lack of self-awareness. And, and look, he's young. I mean, it's a little different with Clevenger, who's 29 going on 30, who's been in the league for a while, who's basically Plesak's older brother um, at this point. And so it's, I think you hold them to different standards yeah. too. The, the only thing, uh, circling back, like whenever, again, if, if they're going to, you know, McKenzie's in the rotation for the time being, Maybe they give Logan Allen a shot at some point, Scott Moss. Um, if they're going to turn back to Clevenger at some point and or Plesak, I just wonder if it's going to have to be the sort of thing where it's like, okay, we need a starter seven days from now. Let's start this process now. Oliver, here's what we're thinking. Are you okay with this? What would you like to see happen? Um, and, and, you know, you almost need approval from the veterans, the leaders in the clubhouse before you can even – reach out to make that move. I mean, it's this is going to be, whenever they do this, it's going to have to come with some foresight. It can't be like a last-minute thing. I mean, they decided on McKenzie within the last 
24 to 48 hours. I think they were still yeah. technically debating it on, let's say, on Wednesday. So I don't think you can do that with this. I think you're going to have to have some runway time just to, to get everybody on the same page and make sure everyone's okay with it. I mean, even when this initially happened, the team wasn't playing great baseball. The offense was scuffling, and the starting pitching was carrying it. So at that point, it's not even like, uh, well – you know, we can be won over because we're, we're chasing down wins here and we really need these guys. If this was a, a situation where they had, had won five in a row going into all of this happening, maybe you could say, oh, well, they, you know, they're, they're willing to take uh, a risk on having those guys away. And if they really need them, then everyone will be won over. Well, no, they really needed them right then. And they still were sent away. And, you know, then there's questions about service time and you know, you can you can say, well, the Indians benefit here from the manipulation of their service time, but it's not like the Indians planned any of this. It's not like they they said, hey, go out on the road so we can s- semi suspend you by sending you to the minors and get you another service, another uh, year of service from you. It's not like that was in their cards to begin with. So, knowing all of the information that we know, I don't think their manipulation of their service time is really at the forefront here. No, and you know, even if it winds up with a grievance, it's it might be some other team's problem anyway. Um, it, it's weird because from a baseball standpoint, I think you could say, like the Indians can still certainly make the pay, make the postseason, um, even if Plesac and Clevenger don't pitch again this season. It's there are expanded playoffs. The Indians are off to a good start, and the schedule is weak as hell. I mean, the Tigers and Pirates will. Uh, serve as the cure for anything ailing you, and the Indians have taken advantage of that so far. So uh, on the other hand, though, uh, you get to the playoffs, boy, you sure would like to have Clevenger and Plesak um, at your disposal, and it's not the sort of thing where you can just cruise through the regular season and then bring those guys back toward the end and, and unwind them. I mean, you, I think you want these guys in as good of a spot as possible going into October, going into late September. So they're going to have to make decisions here one way or another, I think, rather quickly, just because it's you don't want to get to like September 20th and then call yeah. them up and, and let them go. Yeah, at that point, what, what are they good for? What can they give? Are they coming out of the bullpen at that point? Yeah, I, I don't know what you would do in that situation. So, yeah, it's, it's not good to try to unwind that and find what the answer is. I don't know that we have any, a good answer yet and maybe still some tempers need to cool and some apologies still need to happen, but that all originates from Clevenger and Plesak and you're you're absolutely right. One of the reasons why it was at the tail end of the last podcast and I was a little bit more willing to I don't say look the other way, but be more forgiving with Plesak is because he is young and maybe doesn't grasp his actions, but Clevenger, man, you're a veteran, you consider yourself a leader on this team, especially in your pitching staff. And you got to set a good example. And, and he absolutely failed at doing that. And now the team and, uh, and certainly those guys personally have to, to pay the price, at least in the short term. It is uh, a little bit interesting though, seeing the offense come back to life and maybe start to do some of the things we, we anticipated because it's not like the offense has been great here in this stretch, but it, it just looks like they're, they're starting to perform the way that I thought they would, which is like a little bit better than middle of the pack. <laughs> That's they're They're a little bit above the middle of the pack the last week or so in slugging percentage. 
So they're starting to come back, at least from a, you know, a home run and a double standpoint because they were just doing none of that. They were the worst slugging team in baseball you know, a week and a half ago, so they're at least climbing there. So it's not like they've turned on to become a juggernaut or even like the regression is carrying them uh, to the other end of the spectrum, but they at least look confident now, which is better than what we were seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think we knew, well, we figured Lindor, Reyes, and Carlos Santana would be fine, right? And I think you're seeing that with two of the three. It's kind of amazing the shortstop is the one who is still searching for anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean... <laughs> you know, my brother my brother texted me and he said, because Lindor stinks now, does that increase their chance of re-signing him? And I texted him back, well, if he stinks, why do you want to re-sign him? <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he's bizarre. I mean, he does not look like himself the way he's... Chasing pitches and just, I mean, I, I said, I think in a, in a piece today, like I rarely do I actually put stock in when, you know, the old cliche of, oh, he's pressing, he's trying to do too much. I think players, coaches, fans, media members rely on those cliches way too often, but I think they apply to this situation. Like he is just like lunges at every breaking ball, swinging first pitch every time, and is just trying to do anything he can, and he's grounding into so many double plays. Um, but, like, the like he'll be fine. You know, I still think he'll be fine. Carlos Santana, the amazing thing about him is that, remember, he always used to be such a slow starter, and I think it would get to, like, early June, he'd be hitting 204 with, like, very little power. Everyone would be whining and saying, ah, oh, he should be hitting seventh, or they should cut him. Um, and then he'd get hot, and you'd forget about it. The amazing thing with him this year is that he's always walked a lot, but, like, he's walking so much this year that even when he wasn't hitting anything, he was still near the top of the league in on-base percentage. Like, it's incredible to look at his stats, and, like, a few days ago he was hitting, like, 170 with an on-base percentage of, like, 440. I'm like... How, do, how is that even possible? Um, and he's on pace. You know, if this was a 162-game season, he'd be on pace for the third highest walk total in Major League history. And only Barry Bonds has higher totals. I think he had 232 and, like, 198, which is just insane. And Santana's on pace for about 182, just ahead of uh, Babe Ruth, Mark McGuire, and Ted Williams. So that's pretty good company. Oh, and he's just those guys. Just okay. those guys. Hey, only... Two of those four people are in the Hall of Fame, so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, like, he's, that's why I always thought Santana would be fine, because he was still reaching base. You figured he'd hit for some power eventually. And then Reyes, like, you know, he was the one I was a little bit concerned with, just because he looked so lost. He looked like, he admitted he had no plan at the plate. He was just guessing on every pitch. But you knew he had the power, right? And so, it seemed like, about two weeks ago maybe, like late in that Cincinnati series, he just started getting some cheap singles. And you could see ever since then, it's kind of been like a snowball rolling downhill, started hitting some home runs. So like you knew those guys would be fine. It's just the bottom half of the lineup. I still don't know what you're going to get. I don't know who the best three outfielders are to plug in every night. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's probably going to be something that is a question until the end of the year. I don't really anticipate that changing. I'm still with what I said last podcast about Domingo Santana just continue to get at bats. And I know people complain 
Did they want to see him out of there? But I, I've seen enough of his career based on the other options that are there. I have more faith in him turning it around, at least giving you something. So I'm okay with that. And, and Tyler Naquin, of course, you know, is just trying to work his way back and getting his timing back and all that. So uh, I think he still warrants as much of a look as possible. And, and in center field, I'm not, you know, I'm not all about Delino to Shields getting all of this playing time, but I, I, it's not like I have a great argument to say somebody else should be playing center field right now. I, I, have, I, I don't. I have no other alternative. So if you want to go with Delino because he's at least – hit a little bit and you know you can count on him to play a good defense if not great defensive center field then i i, I don't have a a big argument here that i need to get all riled up about yeah i'm with you i mean it, it'll be interesting to see i have no concept of how busy the trade deadline will be yeah it's weird i'm sure the indians will do their due diligence and at least look into some outfield options, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be Naquin and Luplo in one corner, yeah. Domingo in the other, and DeShield slash Zimmer slash maybe Mercado again eventually in center. And so, to me, that screams, can you find someone who you're confident is an upgrade over Domingo? If not, I don't know. You know, one thing that's kind of hurt them is that if Framil Reyes had been playing outfield consistently in spring training and, and summer camp and they felt comfortable with him in left or right, then you could add any hitter because you'd yeah. have your DH spot available. Yeah, although, you know, Domingo hasn't exactly played an enthusiastic outfield as we kind of expected. Getting back to Lindor. It... He's twice as good as Melky Cabrera was. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but getting back to Lindor, his profile uh, to begin the year or – I don't even know what the right phrasing is at this point to declare what we, we are into this season. But, I mean, he is swinging at more first pitch, uh, first pitches than at any point in his career, a little over 30%. That's a 4% from last year. He, he is swinging, um, and, he, and he's, he's seeing far fewer fastballs. Maybe that's playing into it. I mean, I tried to, to look through, and, you know, our, our buddy Gage had pointed out on Twitter that his chase rate was way up, and if you go throughout his career, when you see, I mean, it's not exactly rocket science to say, hey, when you're chasing pitches outside the strike zone, you're probably not having great success, and that's that's pretty typical for, for Lindor in his career, but that's come back to earth a little bit here recently. In fact, it's below where he was at, at, uh, throughout last year, so it's not like it's crippling. He is pulling the ball a shit ton, though. And you're still getting the pull fly balls, which are the best kind of fly balls to hit. But he's also hitting the ball on the ground 70% of the time, which is like 15 to 20% more than, than his typical career average. It makes him very easy. Take that easy. launch angle, nerds. He makes it very easy to defend when you're hitting the ball on the ground, pulling it right into the shift every single time. I mean, if, if you look at the expected numbers, it paints a little better story than what he is right now, but not a lot. It's not like he's had a lot of bad luck here. It's, he's not really scalding the ball. It's weird, uh, but I think just some patience would, would help because the walk rate is, is slumping. And you know, early in his career, he was, he was a hitter that certainly was – his power was budding, but he still got on base a lot via the walk, and that's just it's, – it's dropped. And maybe that's because he feels like he has to do more as a middle-of-the-order hitter, and as much as we say that kind of stuff is garbage – uh, something I don't know that we can rule out with him. Uh, but he's too talented not to see it 
turn around at some point. I just wonder, you know, what is going to be the catalyst that gets him turned around? Yeah, I mean, we said the what would determine this team's fate is whether the offense could rebound enough to offset the regression that would hit the pitching staff. And we think we've seen a little bit with the pitching staff. I mean, Carlos Carrasco's come down to earth a little bit. You know, without Clevenger and Plesak, who were, Plesak was pitching deep, made three fantastic starts. Clevenger had a couple good starts. Um, you know, there's going to be natural regression. Like Tristan McKenzie hasn't pitched in an actual game in two years and has never pitched in the majors. You think that or matters for this team? Yeah, that's just, true. I mean, Aaron Savali just comes through, mows him down. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, they still have the top pitching staff in the league, statistically. And they still have the worst offense in the American League, it's, statistically. It's so. silly. Huh, yeah, I mean... You didn't miss anything on your vacation, basically. <laughs> um, not at all. No, no, nothing happened. Nobody's mad. Nobody's upset. No fires to put out at all. Remember when we were talking about closer controversy? Remember when that was a thing in the first week and the biggest storyline with this team? And I am still... All aboard the uh, Karen check riding the fireman train, too. Yep. By the way, everyone wants to anoint somebody the closer, but having How about him, Phil Maton, yeah, having him and his ability to to float wherever, well, right now, wherever Sandy Alomar needs him, uh, and eventually Terry Francona, uh, that's a humongous weapon. And I keep waiting for that, that meltdown outing, and <laughs> it's like nowhere in sight. You wonder how he could ever get hit at this point. He's been incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the preferred role. I mean, Cody Allen will never get the credit he deserves for his fantastic tenure in Cleveland. But he was so much more... He seemed more valuable, and it seemed more efficient before he took over the closer role. When he was that guy who Terry Francona plugged in in the 7th or 8th inning... Whenever it was the highest leverage situation, you had second and third with one out and the heart of the Tigers order up and you wanted Cody Allen to get Miguel Cabrera out. Like that was, that was fun. You know, it's, yeah, I think every team should do that. I don't, I don't think you need to just pigeonhole your best reliever into the ninth inning. And um, that said, you know, you'd still like more from Brad Hand who's had eight appearances this year and only one one, two, three inning. Um, and it's just like every time he goes out there, you know, you're reaching for a bottle of whatever liquor you have <laughs> in your cabinet. Yeah. Um, no, see, and I'm okay. And, and I don't think they're going to do this unless Brad Hand has a couple more giant hiccups or worse. But I'm okay with just if the, the, the highest leverage ends up being the final three outs of the ninth inning, then go to Karachek. You know, don't mm-hmm. just be committed to going to Brad Hand and say, well, uh, Karinchek is the fireman and he can't appear in the ninth inning. That's, that's silly. But I just, I would prefer not having the best reliever tied to the final three outs with nobody on base, especially with Karinchek's ability to strike everybody and their grandmother out. Who else do you want coming in with runners on first and second and nobody out? A guy that's going to strike yeah, everybody out. Yeah, but if he's out, facing grandmothers, then that doesn't seem like the high leverage situation you want. Well, they had played the the Pirates here lately, and that uh, might be an improvement. Grandmothers above replacement? I don't know how that's going to work. That's weird. Would you uh, trade Lindor this year? Because they're not getting anything out of him. So you know, what are you going to lose? Who the hell is playing shortstop in his absence? <laughs> Whoever they acquire in the trade, of course. 
I'm seeing Mark Even if DeRosa, that person doesn't play shortstop? I'm seeing Mark DeRosa put together trades. Why can't you and I play fantasy GM and just ship him off in trades that they should absolutely do, do right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. If they value clubhouse chemistry and leadership, I don't think you can be in contention and have a 600 winning percentage and then trade the heart and soul of your roster. He's giving you nothing. Look at him offensively. He's been awful. He's below average offensively. Yeah, okay, so you Then you probably it. can't get much for him. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us over at Anchor. Apparently, we're on a bunch more places, too, as I started researching uh, places you could find the show. I find us on iHeartRadio. I'm like, I don't think we signed up for that. But, hey, there we are. (laughs) So if you have somewhere you listen to podcasts, just type us in, Selby is Godcast, and my God will will be there. And you can subscribe, and you won't miss an episode, even when I go on vacation or even when Zach is super mad and angry and very, very mean. Did somebody say that? What did I do? Well, I know you personally, and I know how much of a, a jerk you actually are. So Wow. I think that actually makes it easy. But I'm not evil, and I don't, I'm not disgusting, and I don't blow things out of proportion. <laughs> uh, it depends. Are we talking hardball dynasty or real life? Because I've seen both ends of that spectrum. Fair enough. Hope everybody has a good week, good weekend, and we'll see you later. Peace. Oh, 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 oh,